Greetings, dear listener. You're listening to the Jaunty Mantis podcast. This is Jesse. This is Maddie. And we are presenting to you today a special bonus episode. True story. Yeah, why do we do these? Well, the Jaunty Mantis is released in seasons, 12 episodes per. And uh, the reason for that is so we have time to take a breather, get uh, extra recordings done, make sure we don't fall behind. So if you're listening to this, that means that we're in between seasons. We made it. (laughs) So we'll be back soon. And until then, enjoy this episode, this bonus episode. It's not necessarily about role-playing game topics, but it is very nerd adjacent. And we hope you enjoy it. Yep. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Jaunty Mantis. This is a podcast about creative questions for curious gamers. I'm your co-host, Maddie, and always with me is my co-host, Jesse. What's up, (laughs) y'all? What's up, indeed? (laughs) And Jesse, I have been thinking about a topic for us for a while now. I may have done a little bit of extra homework on it as a proof of concept that I may or may not have worked. Probably not. Um, But I have a question for you for this episode. Sure, I'd love to hear it. Would a survival crafter TTRPG be fun? (laughs) All right, this my answer is going to astound you on this. Yeah, go for it. I don't have a game for that. That's amazing. Right? Yeah. Uh, And I'm going to say I think it could be fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just for a little bit of context, I was thinking a lot about Valheim the other day because I was thinking about playing it again. And then everybody has been talking about Pal World, which is the you know, survival crafter that has a Pokemon theme to it, but you've played it. I haven't. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, just don't start thinking of uh, the pals legally distinct from Pokemon <laughs> as being sentient and having any sort of agency, and then you'll be morally okay with the things you do in that game. <laughs> yeah. it From the way people, yourself included, who have described it, it's like a, a concept from a Rick and Morty episode come to life. Yeah, no, that's a really good good description. Uh, like it is like art styles and things. Basically, it's it's like it's like a Blizzard game because nothing about it is unique or original, but they just did it better mm-hmm. than everyone else. Like the building and that arc is pretty much straight like arc, mm-hmm. except just a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um the things look straight up like Pokemon. I mean, like they look straight up like Pokemon and your character's art style. You look like you're somebody from the dragon quest games. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a beautiful pastoral world and you can get a glider and fly around. So they took that from that Zelda Uh game. Uh Uh-huh. Right. And uh, it's really fun. It's really fun going out there with your club. And there's this cute little lamb thing called a lamb ball and just beating it in the face with a club until <laughs> it's weak enough to throw a um, 
Owl Sphere, legally distinct from Pokemon <laughs> Ball, uh, at it and capture it, and then take it back to your base and you know make it carry rocks for you. <laughs> yeah, survival crafters are like super popular right now. I'm I'm wondering when exactly that bubble is going to burst because Blizzard, speaking of just canceled their survival crafter after working on it for six years and they just canceled it. But then they also just fire a whole. Yeah. They, yeah. Like a ton of people. Yeah. Well, you know, Microsoft bought them and then fired a ton of people. So, um, but survival crafters, like when did this genre really appear in video games? Like is, is it something that, cause I came across it from Valheim. Um, is that really like the genesis of the trend? Maybe not the original survival crafter, but definitely the one that popularized it. No, Valheim's like the second one to just like kind of blow up huge. I think the first one to get really, really big, but I don't think it was the first survival. Well, I mean, Minecraft. Oh, right. Duh. If you play Minecraft I've, in I've survival mode, yeah. it, it is a survival crafter. Um, yeah. Dwarf Fortress is a survival craft. I have played Dwarf Fortress, yeah. Uh Ark. Mm-hmm. I played Ark. Yeah, yeah. Ark is a survival crafter. So, but I don't know what the first one. I think I feel like Minecraft is when I first became aware of like that play experience of a survival mm-hmm. crafter. And then I I really liked Minecraft because it was fun. It was building. And mm-hmm. I to this day, every child I meet that tells me about Minecraft, I'm like, survival motor go home <laughs> even, <laughs> even my five-year-old son who now keeps bugging me i want to play survival mode i'm like shay i'm gonna have to sit with you for like two hours to teach you the basics of survival and i'm trying to do that in the real world i don't have time to do it for a <laughs> fantasy one too yeah yeah for sure and w- what are the collective w- where are the fun elements of a survival crafter Okay, so I don't know if this is universal, but I feel it probably is. Progression of your tools to handle increasingly difficult challenges. Mm -hmm. So in the case of like Valheim, you figure out how to put a rock and a stone together to make a rudimentary tool. Then you use that rudimentary tool to be able to like chop a tree down and then chop it into like usable wood. And then, you know, collecting different materials in your environment lets you progress your tools and your skill and making things and your options for making things. And then you're armored and equipped well enough to survive in a more dangerous area where there are more valuable resources that let you make better stuff. And that is the, that's the loop. Right. Right. In Valheim, you're going to get jacked by trolls mm-hmm. and Draugr and death mosquitoes and whatever is in the mists that I haven't played with yet. Um, in arc, it's going to be a velociraptor like 90% of the time. The one mm-hmm. you didn't see comes out of the bushes oh, and slashes at you with six inch claws here and here. The yeah. point is you're still alive when they start to eat you. Um, so there's that. Or if you're playing on a public server, uh, you're eventually just going to get murdered by a 12 year old for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the alpha clan on the server will decide that you're too big for your britches and they'll just come in and level your, you know, 
like 18 days of work. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Hope you had fun. Every time I play a survival crafter with friends, I'm like, hey, I'll pay for a server. But yeah, we're not playing on a public server because yeah. I've I've done my two experiments of like staying low and maybe we can challenge them. You can't unless they all quit playing. You can't challenge the alpha, the alpha tribe on a server. Right. Yeah. And there are elements, at least like I'll pretty much be sticking to Valheim because that's a game I've actually played. I've never played Minecraft, which explains why it didn't come to mind first. But there's a lot of elements in Valheim as a survival crafter that are reminiscent of the D&D play experience or a role-playing game fantasy experience of going into a dungeon looking for treasure and fighting dangerous monsters. And in Dungeons and Dragons, we don't, in other role-playing games, um, we don't really make stuff, essentially. I mean, there's, like, in Exalted, you can use charms to make stuff, right? There are games that have a crafting element to them, but it's not the focus. It's usually, like, this is a thing you can do. Like, in D&D 3.x, you can take blacksmithing as a profession or be uh, have a crafting skill in like you know pick one you know weaponsmithing or armor smithing or whatever um and then in in 5e you can have a background associated with you i was listening to one of our past episodes i was editing where you were mentioning that Berdine has leather working and when we were talking about it in that episode, I was like, oh, that kind of just sounds like more of a story skill. Like, it's not something we're going to really depend on. It's just the cool thing that kind of fleshes Burdine's care as a character out. Something he can be doing while we're on the ship going from one island to the next. And he's like working on a, uh, a project. Um, you know, are there like, are you familiar with other role playing games that do have a more robust crafting system? See, this is the challenge because we've talked about a craft-based game before, but not on the podcast, just in oh. one of the conversations that we had that were like, this is a cool conversation. We should have a podcast. <laughs> um, Let's so, repeat it. Basically, that's the element that would be, I think, the hardest to crack. Yes. Is the crafting system because... I think there's some assumptions in role-playing games that make it difficult. If you lean too heavily, this is obviously influenced by that book that you suggested we read, with the cool spooky beholder thing on the cover. Uh-huh. Um, if you lean into the idea that it should be a role related to a skill the character has on their page or on their character sheet, then what's actually the fun because Mm -hmm. the whatever progress bar of actually crafting the item that Mm -hmm. happens in a survival crafter video game is not the fun of the game it's like discovering oh i can make this it's planning the trip to go and gather the things to get it and then you get that thing you're like now i can plan the next trip and i think there are i don't know what they are but they're very different styles to survival crafter players there's explorers who go out there and face everything there's the people who are just like whatever i'm going to charge it and then you have to go 
you never after the first time you don't help them get their body back because they're just going to get you killed and then there's base moms like me who are like we'll stay here and make sure we have enough rations for everybody and then we can go on a grand adventure and build a new outpost after three days of preparation Mm -hmm. so um like but the fun is like getting the thing very similar to D &D, Mm -hmm. making the thing and then exploring the new place Mm-hmm. so i don't know if you actually need a whole lot of mechanical teeth for the crafting aspect of it but i've never played a game that's focused on crafting mm-hmm. i would i would uh, i love everything you're saying um and i would piggyback all of it by saying that the other really big problem and this is this is definitely piggybacking on what you said the other problem is that if there's an element of combat or magic, it's going to be way more interesting and way more fun than I made an axe. So in order to solve that problem, because like, here's the thing, Jesse is, uh, and I, I, I might've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast. I don't know which one of these have aired because we record bonus episodes. Uh, and we, I haven't aired all of them yet, but I have been like working on, a D20 homebrew in the background just as a way to like explore different ideas. We know that 3.5 D and D is my favorite all time uh, outside of dungeon world role-playing game system. I know a lot about it. I feel very comfortable using it as like a, what did you call it? Like a white room to kind of just like test out ideas because the mechanics are very straightforward. And I know that if I ever wanted to put it down in front of my, friends in our gaming group everybody understands all of, almost all of the concepts almost instantly so i don't have to really teach the game i you know people are understand the concepts the base concepts of D. uh so i kind of put this to the test i've been putting it to the test over the last couple of I don't know, definitely weeks maybe even over a month of uh time trying to put this together and what i learned was that <clears throat> you definitely can't take time to make things you know, like, I don't know what all goes into making a sword, but I know it takes time. And that's one thing that you cannot do if you wanted to make a survival crafter tabletop RPG game. You have to have some sort of um, convenience in the in the the setting or the system so that they can just make it, you know, and he, and like you can have it. You can tell them it took time. Like, but that time has to be like an hour or two or five hours at most. It can't be like, well, in three weeks, you'll have a sword, you know? Yeah. So you have to kind of make it that like the magic of crafting is a power that this character has. And Can so, I go ahead. jump in with how it's usually handled? Uh, Definitely, please. In more... Uh, so in a survival crafting game, crafting the tools that you use is usually pretty quick. Mm-hmm. but it gets slower the more advanced your tools are mm-hmm. but then there's also usually something that you can craft that speeds up the efficiency of the crafting time okay and in pal world that's actually the pals if they have handiwork you can assign them to your crafting table and they'll help you build the thing and it goes from taking 50 seconds to like 10. Mm-hmm. so there needs to be something like that in the game as well yeah I, I mean, because the time crunch, the other thing that I didn't mention in my description, 
the time crunch matters. And again, similar to the book with the cool beholder, Shadow Dark, because they figured out how to make the time crunch for torches matter. The time crunch matters because it, there's a survival element. You probably have a thirst tracker or and a hunger tracker and maybe even a tiredness tracker. And those are all going down. So like there is this very real pressure on you to like be like, oh crap, I got to go get food uh, to survive. And then you're like, oh, I haven't been paying attention to this part of the game. I have no supplies. And then there's a fun little adventure that, you know, winds up with you getting killed because you you know forgot (laughs) to eat. And then later food you craft actually makes your character stronger. So, Mm -hmm. Well, that's, you know, in the, in the ad hoc system that I would put together from D20 elements, just to see if this idea would work that I did that with like vitality and wound points. Uh, and then every time, every, like every time there was like, um, exhaustion or if you ignored sleep or, you know, if you went hungry, it would start depleting your vitality. And there would be a cost to that as if the environment or the setting was dealing damage to you and you would have to go out and forage for food, uh, in order to, you know, uh, like if you don't, if, if people don't eat, have food to eat, then they start taking vitality and damage. But the other part of it too, is that in order to back up the combat system, the cool shit you do in combat can only be achieved by using things that you created. So if you were like, let's say you found a sword by somebody else, like you cannot activate the cool combat shit. It has to be something you made in order to transfer whatever that magic power that you have in crafting into the item to produce the effect. So the idea that I thought was if you tie everything to the idea of crafting as a, as a way to increase its power or make you more deadly or more survivable in the world, then that would make crafting matter. Like why make like, cause like the original idea is like in Valheim, you start with nothing. Right. And so that was the first question I thought we would have to answer. Like, do you start with nothing or are you just a guy in a town who is a blacksmith? I think you start with nothing. Okay. And like, like let's walk through what the play loop experience would be. So let's say we have four or five player characters We've come up with a setting reason. They're members of a tribe. They get separated. They have nothing. They're out in the wilderness. Okay. And each one of them has whatever mechanical resource we've come up with in order to allow them to craft. So like, let's walk through what would be the play experience in a survival crafter. Cause in a Dungeons and Dragons game, you meet in an inn, you have your equipment, you go to a dungeon, you find a MacGuffin, a thing happens, you know, whatever. But a survival crafter would have to be more of like an improv game experience where it's like, okay, you guys are in the middle of the no of nowhere. Like you don't have any food or water. What are you going to do? Yeah. So like, what's, what's the first thing we would imagine our player characters wanting to do? And then how does crafting tie into that? Well, they'd need to go and gather some resources. That's the, I mean, you wake, you wake up in your underwear, like on a beach. Yeah right like mm-hmm. you're like oh, okay i need to go get stuff so you go gather some plant fibers to you know cover your nakedness and you go <laughs> get some stone and some wood to make some tools so you can get more stone and wood so you can make a little hut uh so you have protection from the elements i think 
like you'd need to have like weather effects fuck definitely. some people up like definitely um yeah and then you'd be like food like mm -hmm. i mean like that's my play arc it's usually just like resource initial resources uh like shelter clothing or initial resources fire shelter clothing and then i start poking around a little looking for like food right and that's kind of where you can start to work in these crafting elements right so if you need to make a tool you essentially have a crafting skill to make a tool anybody can make a tool essentially if you have that skill but there needs to be some sort of specialness in the crafting. So you can put together a makeshift tool and then it has like three uses, let's say. But if you yeah. utilize whatever the resource mechanic is, this thing will last three days, maybe, you know, like, or whatever. Yeah, um, that's the other thing that puts pressure on your character to survive is that your tools break down. Right. Most often you can repair them. Um, the level progression as an aspect of your character minecraft is different minecraft as long as you know the things to put into your crafting box like the right there's a pattern it's a grid of squares and you yeah. have to put the right resource in the right box but then it will just make it and you as long as you can look that up on the internet it's anything but in arc you gain experience as you play from basically from gathering from mining, from cutting down trees, from crafting, from hunting dinosaurs, from having your friends doing that stuff near you. Mm -hmm. um, and as you level up, you get technology points that let you get the next level of blueprints to craft the next thing. So even when you started, if you had iron and a forge, you couldn't make a sword. You mm -hmm. have to progress up to making that. So to me, that's almost like a dungeon world playbook with like, the crafting elements uh on it mm -hmm. uh, that you as you you know mark in advance or level up or whatever you do that you also usually outside of minecraft get like a trait bonus and the traits this is the thing that i find really interesting because it's in pal world 2 and i think it was in valheim it's been a minute but the traits are usually like your stamina which is your ability to like run or climb your hit points, your attack damage, the time it takes to craft things, and the amount of weight you can carry. Mm -hmm. Which, because I'm a base mom, it's like, that's my, my first 10 levels I'm putting in that carry weight because I'm eventually <laughs> building us a stone castle and I need mm -hmm. to be able to carry the rocks without having to go back every time I build a wall panel. Right, right. And then, how do you justify how do you justify the like what kind of in-game mystique do we need to achieve to make it happen like like um what i was thinking was like in the example of the player characters are separated from their tribe or whatever you can come up with a story of like the tribe is running desperately low on resources they need to uh, draw straws a certain portion of them are going one direction and the others are going another you're in the group that they basically said we don't think you're going to make it and the tribe venerates like gods or spirits and the crafters of the tribe and 
like invoke you with the power of the crafting spirits to help you survive. And that's what gives you this magical empowerment to make things super fast or with very little resources or whatever the case may be. But like um, the part that I'm trying to get at is like how much is too much? Like it, can you go too far with that? Like at what point does simulation and and fantasy like at, at what point do those start to diverge from each other? See, the survival crafters that are more simulationist mm -hmm. are the ones where you die. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. And you don't get a respawn. Um like seven days to die or the long dark or uh rust right mm -hmm. where they're like very concerned about the fine grain details of it um yeah you, you it takes okay here is the most hardcore survival crafter i've ever played mm -hmm. project zomboid mm -hmm. yep where you know he it's like the game starts black screen it was the end there was no hope this is how you died and then you hop into your character in like a house in the middle of a zombie outbreak and hopefully you're on the outskirts of town because if you're in the urban core i have some bad news about what's going to happen the second you go outside or if you're really unlucky there's already one banging on the windows <laughs> and within four if you survive 14 days the power and water shut off because no one's maintaining them anymore and now food spoils in the all the time and you're gonna run out of canned goods eventually in the safe area like mm -hmm. the survival pressure on that one is not intended for you to like win or live but you can eventually build a base and level up and stuff and um that's a fun play experience too so i think that's a conversation with your players how much is too much mm -hmm. this kind of makes me think i had ideas about this that like after reading Shadow Dark and thinking about this from a more OSR surprise <laughs> approach, <laughs> uh huh. Um, I think you make the time pressure a real time, like the way they do torches in Shadow Dark, where you set mm -hmm. like an hour timer on the phone and count down. Like you have a couple timers and be like, this is your hunger meeting. You're going to start taking damage um, or exhaustion when this ticks down and you just have them set up on the other side of your screen or like on the screen if you're playing virtually mm -hmm. um i think what you need to do is you need to have a good map of zones mm -hmm. uh, and i think you need random encounter tables for those zones and i think when someone goes resource gathering they basically bid how many resources they're gonna get and that increases the frequency of a random encounter. No, that's not always going to be hostile, but if you're Ark, it's probably a dinosaur and it mm -hmm. might be predatory, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so like, let's say there's a one in six chance of a random encounter if you're gathering like one unit of wood for whatever. You need a tree of crafting recipes, I think. Mm -hmm. That's that's the sticky part. And for those mm. tree of crafting recipes... You, when you someone levels up skill points, this is the thing survival crafters do, but I think it makes choices meaningful, especially if you know you're doing a multiplayer game where people can differentiate what they do. Right. There are less skill points at each level than there are choices for things they could learn how to craft. Right. Um, if someone wants, sorry, back to the wood thing, someone wants to harvest 
one unit of wood, there's a one in six chance they'll encounter some inhabitant of wherever the zone they're in while they're doing that. Could be dangerous, could be benign. Mm -hmm. They're going to harvest two units of wood. It's a two in six chance. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's a risk reward thing mechanically. It doesn't dictate how the encounter goes, but the longer you stay out, maybe the timer on the phone, the real timer isn't going down, but the encounter you get into is going to take up that time. Mm -hmm. And it balances out. I love what you're saying. It reminds me of the tension pool from angrygm.com. Mm. It's the thing that the angry GM created as a tool to measure, like have a, a, a measurement of time in a role-playing game and then the consequences of reckless action. And the it's way more complicated than I'm about to describe it, but it's also very elegant and simple once you understand how it works. But here's the oversimplified version of how this works. There's a cup, you have six-sided dice, you have six, I think, six-sided dice. When you do something that takes a meaningful amount of time, let's say an hour, the GM puts a six-sided die in the tension pool, which is that cup, right? And then anytime that happens, another die goes in when players commit to time. Then when a player does something reckless, you roll the dice in the tension pool at that point, whether there's two or six in there. If there ever is more than uh, six, you roll before all, everything in the tension pool before putting another die in there. And then based on how those die come up, then complications start happening. And I think that's another way that you could do what you're suggesting, right? So if they go out to gather resources and you say, okay, how much time are you going to spend? You know, uh, I'm going to spend three hours or I'm going to spend an hour or whatever the case may be. Okay. So, well, you know that this is a dangerous time of day and the wood that you're looking for is in an area that you haven't explored before. And then you decide whether that's a reckless action or not, or then you allow the player character the opportunity to take reckless actions. And then you add complications once they happen by rolling the tension pool. Right. And that doesn't always mean that they get attacked. There could be other things that happen, right? Like they're chopping a tree down. It falls the wrong way. They get trapped under, you know, the tree or there's a rock slide or something like that. Like it adds a complication to the living. It adds this element of a living, breathing world that has consequences when you commit time to things. And I think that might also serve what you're describing yeah. in, that, in, in that way the i think to have the experience of survival you just need to have a resource and a time pressure mm -hmm. on the and i think that could be a fun experience for a tabletop rpg yeah i think if we're talking about the potential of fun i think having an unknown play experience that could really go anywhere could be very fun to have now i don't know if that would be fun in the sense of a campaign but if you consider yourself to have good improvisational gming skills i think you could do very well in this kind of game like the play experience as we've been describing it 
in my head right now is like player characters essentially wake up or whatever. They exist in this open space. They have no food, no water, no resources. What do you do? Maybe they don't do anything until you start applying the consequences that are necessary. Then they have to go out and do those things. Then you allow that risk mechanic to take place. They bring back whatever resources they need. And then you use whatever mechanical system you have in place to let them spontaneously craft. Because with any role-playing game, you need the cookie, right? You know what I mean? Like this is why World of Warcraft was as successful as it was because they figured out the rate in which you give a cookie for doing things. Oh, you're going into a new zone and doing a quest and there's mobs there. Well, we figured out at what rate you should start getting special or better items and then at uh, how much time it should take you to complete a quest. And that's essentially giving you the cookie. And I think in the Dungeons and Dragons play experience or any other role playing game, that's what our magic items and our treasure and kill the monsters is. That's the cookie, right? So we need to give them the cookie of I've crafted a thing. It's really cool. Why is it really cool? Well, it's not really cool because I made it and it's the difference between life and death in a fantasy world that's taking place in my imagination while my friends and I drink beer. It should actually do something really cool. Don't you think? Yeah. So what kind of like, how do we, what kind of recipes do we have? Because like, if you, if you, cause this is kind of what I'm getting at is like, if it's a skill based system and you're putting ranks into a skill, you, when you reach certain number of ranks, you should unlock certain amounts of recipes or things you can do. And it's like, that's the part that seems intimidating to me. Yeah, that's what I said about the crafting. Because one of the things, like, too, with, like, like I immediately thought, because it's the thing I've read most recently. Yeah, you could actually hack Shadow Dark fairly easy to do this and just random encounters for reason. No, like, solved. But then I was just like, a skill-based system is sort, like, the survival crafter as a video game works because it's not actually really about the crafting it's about the progress to get there mm -hmm. um and in an rpg where if you're taking like the shadow dark ethos of like the reason why there are no skills in that game is because they don't want you to just depend on the dice they want you to describe the cool thing you're doing mm -hmm. if you're doing that in a thing we're like well no you can't craft that yet because you didn't skill up Mm -hmm. There's a disconnect between maybe what we want an RPG to do and that. I mean, at that point, it's like, would we make a survival crafter board game? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. That I don't know as much, nearly as much about board games as they do about RPGs, but that I'm sure probably already exists. Yeah. I think the other thing that you're um, hitting on is that <clears throat> skill systems in most role-playing games are really boring. And and they generally like like in fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons skills are very generalized, you know, in in one edition of Dungeons and Dragons, there's separate skills for jump and swim and climb. And then in fifth edition, they're like, ah, all that's basically athletics, athletics, yep. you know. So it's like that's the other kind of problem you run into is you want the skill system to be complicated enough because that's one of the big problems I have in a lot of role-playing games 
is like these skills exist in a general in a general fashion because we feel like yeah you should be able to fly a Cessna but how many times is that ever going to come up in the game experience so you know how to fly that and you know how to fly a helicopter and and basically anything else that can get into the air yeah yeah you can basically fly it all yeah imagine my surprise last night when i actually looked up the motorcycles and snowmobile skill that in riffs that the player was trying to use and saw oh it does include atvs okay yeah yeah and there's a reason why it covers all of those things right because they can't it can't be too um specific otherwise what's i don't the think point? that was the design intention behind riffs but i get right. what you're saying you know what i'm trying to say though at yeah. some point you have to be like yeah you can fly or drive all of these things you know, even though a, an experienced pilot would tell you like, oh, well, flying this kind of plane versus a commercial airliner, those are different things. You know, you need separate separate training for those things. Well, I think that's actually to the benefit of a more generalized skill system because you actually have to say what you're trying to do to pull it off. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's the intention. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people will just say, oh, I'm going to roll athletics. I'm like, for what? What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Right. So maybe what you do then with a survival crafter TTRPG is that you make it that let's say we're using the invest ranks in a skill system. Maybe you have like a bank of ranks that you haven't used yet. And that when you because I've seen this in, in survival crafters and in video games, when you do a thing, you gain skill, right? Yeah. So, and you alluded to this earlier. So, you know, maybe that's how you take care of that problem is you're like, well, you have a certain number of ranks. What do you want to make? Well, I try to make, I don't know, an ax so I can chop trees down. Okay. How do you do that? Well, I start looking for certain kinds of stones and then I find a piece of wood and I'm going to try to put them together. It's like, all right, put a, a rank in this skill and then use the craft mechanic. Great. You made it. Right. So the magic isn't just like that you make it an item instantly. The magic is also that you've skilled up in this area and you're like, okay, well, I guess I make weapons now. Right. Or I can try to make other things and like spread these out to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, that's maybe that cookie or that system of discovery that we're looking for. The magic and the moment of doing is like there's a portion of character development that's live and dynamic as you're playing the game. One thing I would say about that, about a skill system on it, is in a survival crafter, and you, it's not saying you have to stick to this, but one of the things that I enjoy about them as a method is there's never a chance of success or failure on actually making the thing once you've gathered the necessary resource and skill that makes that thing available. Mm-hmm. The chance of failure where player skill is involved is in the journey to gather mm-hmm. the resources to get it. So I don't know if like with a, you'd want to like the skill would just be the to me ideally the ability to make the thing. Mhm. But when you and you know what it takes to do it. Right. You need this much of this, th- this many units of this, this many units of this. Okay. Well, we have two. I mean, there's, there's, I don't know. There's no way to get around fairly detailed inventory mm-hmm. <laughs> keeping for this, but like we have two units of wood. This takes six. 
uh, I'm going to go and risk four units of wood. My like, oh, attention die, attention die. Mm-hmm. You, your skill not only could represent the level in which you can make things, but you could have two separate mechanics at work. The skill not only represents like the tech level that you can achieve, but also you would use the skill to make something with a chance of failure happening with a chance of variable quality. And you use like a craft point or a craft power up to make something without a chance of failure. So you just instantly make it in order to provide the player character with like, well, I really need a weapon right now. I've only got like five craft jewels or whatever it is. I'm going to spend one to make this weapon because I need to make it instantly and basically perfectly, you know, but I could also use my craft skill to work on the same weapon over a longer period of time with a chance of failure and variable quality. Do you think that that would have any kind of value in the game to have a difference between the two things? I'm intrigued by it, but then I ask the question, what's the play experience of tracking that? Well, there's downtime included in some role-playing games. Right. Right? There's behind-the-scenes stuff. You're sitting around the fire, you're like whittling away at something. Okay. You know what I mean? Or like whatever the case may be. So you have like some sort of clock that counts down the amount of time it takes to make that thing. And then something else that determines the value of quality and it's happening in the background. And this is the, this is how you have people. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because you really have to kind of open your mind to what the players are going to want to craft. Right. And that's why I was kind of like, what is the play experience? Because you and I instantly think, okay, well, I'm naked. I need clothes. I need weapons. I need food. But then you're also going to have those moments where they're going to be like, well, we need to make a shitload of walls, but we don't need the walls right now. And we're making walls. We don't want to use crafting jewels on them. Can we make walls as we go? And how much time would that take? But you also need the, the flip side of that, which is like, oh shit, the trolls are coming. I need a wall right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the inspiration behind having two variations of the same system where you have the instant and perfect that you spend a resource on. And then you have a generalized version, which is like, yeah, we don't need the walls right this moment. We just want to make them over the next like couple of weeks to secure the base camp, like background tasks, essentially. Yeah, that would work. It's the cool. mechanism for getting more of those. Getting more of what? Those craft points, is that the leveling up thing? The craft points would come with, you know, leveling up. And then, I mean, like in the version that I made that I've been working on here and there over the last couple of weeks, speaking of crafting, um, I just went and used the Unearthed, Unearthed Arcana craft point system, which they originally developed because D&D characters don't have a lot of uh, downtime. Yeah. And so I was like, I just like, I'm not looking to make something perfect. I'm just want to put a bunch of things together in a system. I understand to see if this would actually work. So that's the mechanic that I used for the instant perfect craft, which is like every item has a craft point value based on its gold piece value as listed in whatever player's handbook or whatever. And then 
you spend the craft points, make the thing, and whenever you level up, you get more craft points. And then if you're using feats, you have a feat that gives you more craft points. I just had another idea. All right. Like when you craft something, you create, like if you're using 3.5, there's a distinction of masterwork or not. Mm -hmm. You could play with that. But then for like magic items, it occurred to me there's this thing in Plangea because they don't have the tech level uh -huh. about hunts. Okay. Like, and the reward for a hunts is like a blessing that may be equivalent to a magic item if you eat the heart or whatever. And mm -hmm. I'm like, what if they know that if you track down and hunt this beast that lives in the next zone over, mm -hmm. you can use that when you craft a sword to create a magical one, which degrades less quickly mm -hmm. and also has, you know, it does, it's a better tool. Right. Basically. I love it. Yeah. So it's then you got go ahead. Yeah. Motivation to not just turtle. Right. No, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. Because then you add value to the setting and opportunity for adventure. You know, the hardest part of this is not the reason or the, or the options. The cool shit is the cool shit. The cookie is the cookie, right? Yeah. The hard part is like, how do I make this relevant from point A to point B to C to D and so on and so forth? Because that's where I feel like a lot of role-playing games kind of fall apart, or at least the poorly written ones do. You know, you could you could make a, a one-shot out of any cool idea, right? But as soon as it needs to survive a certain number of levels or a certain number of sessions or a certain number of uses, then you kind of start to run into problems because players are going to break things. Players are going to be like, oh, I can make a wall, huh? And I can make it with these dimensions? Okay, well, I'm going to go do this insane thing you didn't think of. What do you, you know, what are you going to do about it? And and people Alpha like you and tribe. me. Alpha <laughs> tribe. Yeah, people <laughs> you, like you and me come up with a solution. You know, Alpha tribe. Um. Well, we got anything else to talk about on this no, I'm I, curious to see the results and keep workshopping it. I think I might try and make one an OSR alternative. Please do. And yeah. We can compare notes. What I would like to do is kind of like finish a rudimentary version of mine uh, and then test it out on the group in a one shot and just, just to see what would happen. You know, because I, like I said at the top of the episode, I think the connective tissue between what is a role-playing game and what is a survival crafter. I think there's a lot between those two things. It's just focusing on different areas of what is the role-playing game experience. Yeah. I really want to mull this over so I can get, you know, like get away from what I'm, I think doing right now, which is literally trying to convert one for one uh -huh. from a PC game to. Yeah. Yeah. That's a mistake. Did you know, I tried to make one before. No, you try to make a survival crafter. I tried to make a survival game. So you know, I have that weird interest in the Stone Age and the Paleo. Oh thing. yeah, yeah. I was like working for a while on like a basically like forged in the dark, like Neolithic hunters game, where instead of like heat, you generated like scarcity, and nice. like when the scarcity got too high, there was no more hunting, and instead of coin, it was like food. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And like when you reached a certain food, instead of retiring, you survived the winter. <laughs> like awesome. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was just like, what would you do in this game? Like you hunt fucking mammoth because like <laughs> that's an experience we don't have. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, let me know what you come up with. For sure. And listener, Somewhere out there, there's a Neanderthal rogue. Shh. <laughs> Jesse is referencing the fact that he and I like to play fun, inter- like weird characters. And one time we used the rules for the Neanderthal in the uh, From Frostburn, the 3.5 book of ice. <laughs> yeah. And we made Barbarian Brothers essentially, but his was a rogue. And mine was um, something from fucking some splat book. What was it? That weird extra power system. Incarnum? Incarnum. I made an Incarnum. And I'm not going to take the time to explain that, what that is. If you want to hear an episode about how, like, my Incarnum D20 uh, obsession, uh, jauntymantis at gmail.com. And if you have any ideas of a good crafting system that we could steal from an existing role-playing <laughs> game, uh, like, yeah, jauntymantis at gmail.com. Oh, yeah. Listener, or, you... Go ahead. Or wantymantis at, uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Listener, if you know of a game that has an amazing crafting system, or maybe you know of a survival crafter TC or RPG, let us know about it. And get out there and survive for some fucking shit. <laughs> yeah.